0: Welcome to The Scrub Life, a podcast for and about the incredible profession of surgical technology. I'm Chris Blevins, and our mission at The Scrub Life is to educate the public about surgical technology. Each episode dives into the wonderful world of surgery, where we inform and hopefully entertain our listeners while interviewing amazing individuals within the field and presenting the hot topics everyone wants to know more about. We've now partnered with the Association of Surgical Technologists to help us expand our conversations, bolster our engagement, and bring further awareness to the surgical technology profession. CSTs are an integral part of the sterile team that cares for patients in the operating room. Learn more about this exciting field, the immense effort that goes into educating future CSTs, and how you too can become a ninja of the OR. Now, without further ado, here's the latest episode of the Scrub Life Podcast. Hey, everyone. Happy National Surgical Technologist Week. I hope you are absolutely celebrated wherever you are, whether you're behind the Mayo or behind a lectern, um, and all the spaces in between. This week is definitely about you. And I hope that you are proud to not just celebrate yourselves, but also take a moment and reflect at all the incredible work that you do in care of our patients, um, in support of your surgeons, and as a team, because we all know it takes a village to care for our patients. This week's episode is all about, well, let's just face it, you would have to be a surge tech in order to truly comprehend what it is that we deal with before most people have even had their first cup of coffee in the morning. And so we titled this episode, The First Time I Ever Ever. You know what that comes across, right? You know what that means. Every one of us has that story that as soon as we say, hey, have you ever had a weird night or morning or event in the operating room? And every one of us immediately can raise our hand and be like, oh, yeah. In fact, many of us have more than one story. So this week we thought we would celebrate the stories and our experiences that we have as certified surgical technologists. So you're gonna hear a bunch of different voices. Some may sound familiar, uh, some may not, but This isn't about who they are. This isn't about their title. This isn't about where they work. This is about the nitty gritty, right? The absolute experiences that you and I can all relate to. Um, Some are going to make you giggle. (laughs) Some are going to make you cry. Every one of them, I probably uh, would imagine, are going to have that moment where you're like, oh God, been there, done that. So take a listen. Enjoy it spoil yourselves if someone isn't spoiling you because you matter and you're doing one hell of a job for our profession so stay tuned here we go the first time i ever
1: all right hi this is kevin and the first time i ever was on call was late in 1988 um of course, I was full of myself. I was on call for the first time by myself. I thought I was just a bomb diggity. And so about three o'clock in the morning on a Thursday night, my pager went off. Yes, I said pager. And so then I called the hospital, found out that we had a triple A on the table, needed to get their ASAP. So I started driving across town. I get over there pretty close to the hospital and uh, it's a pretty big road. So I figured I could go ahead and speed along because I am superhero. I'm going to save a life. And so I was flying down the road when a cop pulls in behind me and throws on the tumblers. And I just stick my hand out the we- out the window and wave him to follow me along like I'm some kind of peacock with plumage. And so he follows me down to the hospital and we get out of the car. I start uh, walking back towards the back of the car and he's jumping out of his car like I'm some kind of mass criminal. And he comes running up to me and I said, we got a patient in here that's, I was told is basically going to die if I don't get here and get scrubbed in as quickly as possible. He said, that's a good thing because they better be about to die or you're going to jail tonight. I said, okay, follow me. And so we walked in, we go through the locker room. He allowed me to change clothes, get in my scrubs. I go bopping back to the OR. He follows me. He's right back to the OR. We're in room one. I can remember it like it is yesterday. Turned the corner and the doctor that was uh, taking care of this patient had already made an incision. There was no drapes down. And he basically had his hand about submerged eight inches into their abdomen, holding on above the aneurysm so it wouldn't rupture. And about the time we rounded the turn, this cop turned all kinds of shades of white. And so then the doctor looked over at me and said, you better help him get to a seat before we have another case. And so we helped walk the cop back out to the control desk and set him down. And of course, like we do for everybody that it says they're going to get sick, give him some crackers and some juice because crackers and juice will heal everything And so then he sat down there and he kind of got his wit back about him, looked up and he said, you're a very, very lucky man today. I said, I am. And he said, yep, you're not going to jail and you might be able to save that person's life. So go do your job. And so I went back in there. I got everything open, got all my supplies ready. Still was just on top of the world because I'm on call by myself. I hope I even had the right stuff open. And so I was scared to death in every which way. I couldn't have been more nervous. And so I get it all set up. I get in my gown and gloves. The doc comes over there and he says, okay, now take your hand, put it right here around my arm and slide down to where my hand is. And I'm looking at him like he's done lost his mind. I don't need my hand in the patient. And so I wrap my hand around his, slide down his forearm, find where his hand is. He basically places my hand on the aorta and says, hold here until I come back and so there I am first time on call just full of myself like I'm going to save the world now the people's in it holding on to this aorta feeling every heartbeat that now I'm pretty much in rhythm with with regard to my heartbeat and so I'm just freaking out and he comes back in after he scrubs puts on his own gown and gloves super doc and we end up uh I have to gown and glove again because there was nothing down and we finally get Worked out that we're draping and getting everything done, changed all our gown, mine mostly. And we went on and actually the case went extremely well. The doc was pleased with my uh, exuberance to be there and loved this entire story of just being cocky enough to throw my hand out the window and wave the cop along. And so the case went as it should. We managed to get everything under control, get a graph put in. And this was back in the days where everything was flat open. There was no questions about it. So really didn't have to worry about the incision because it was made before I arrived. Um, And the patient did very well, survived the evening. I, to my knowledge, survived the next few days. And then I really didn't hear any more about it. And the doctor talked to me the next time we were scrubbing a case and said the patient did extremely well, has had no further problems. And... uh, Apparently, we kind of did save a life that night, and I didn't have to go to jail and worry about showering. And so that was pretty much the first time I was ever on call.
2: My name is Bree, and the first time that I found out that we may lose a patient, I didn't know how to react. It was said so calm and so matter-of-fact that I didn't know how to process it. I think the worst part was that it was in the middle of the case. I still heard the monitors reading her heart rate. She still had oxygen flowing, but we were performing an exploratory laparotomy and discovered some significant intestinal ischemia. Even in the middle of the procedure, my surgeon was saying there was no way she was going to survive. She made it through. We removed a good amount of her large intestines and we did what we could, but the realization that I may never know if it was enough to save her weighed heavy on my mind for the rest of the evening. Walking the halls, all I heard were conversations about that case and about her. Even after we finished and she was in recovery, I kept hearing the intercom go off, and my heart dropped each time in fear that I was about to hear, code blue, recovery. I carried that heavy weight with me all night, even once I had gone home. The next morning, I asked a co-worker how they had handled that situation their first time. After some conversation, she realized I was referring to my patient from the previous afternoon. I can't remember ever feeling as relieved as I did the moment she told me that she had heard word that my patient was actually beginning to stabilize that evening we were able to help her we were able to give her a chance and that's why i chose this profession
3: hey my name is megan and i remember when we learned laparoscopic and lab we had the mannequin's body we had the scope the camera and everything to do it chris put skittles and starburst in the abdomen And we had to use the instruments and the camera to kind of guide through and pick like a skittle up, take it out, move it, unwrap the starburst. And it was so hard, but it was also fun at the same time, which was really a good learning experience because it wasn't too much pressure and you kind of got the feel for it and got to see what it was like. (laughs)
4: Okay, so I'm gonna tell y'all a story about the first time um, I scrubbed with this particularly uh, difficult surgeon at Stony Brook University uh, in New York. My name is Chris. Um, I was a a cardiac scrub for a couple of years at this point, but this surgeon had come on board and it's kind of known as a hard ass, which is fine. I mean, you know, we all work with the hard asses and and as a matter of fact, some of us like the challenge. So this was a Sunday morning. he had an emergency cabbage to do a cabbage times four and things were going along pretty smoothly I mean I didn't know him he didn't know me but you know if you know how to do a cabbage you know how to do a cabbage right it's a procedural you know step-by-step procedure and uh we were moving along you know like I said pretty pretty smoothly but until up until the time where um he did he did his final uh distal anastomosis, let the uh, bulldog clamp off the uh, saphenous vein graft. And sure enough, the freaking blood hit the light. Okay, so no big deal, right? You have a little patch stitch ready, a 7-0 proline ready to go if you need it. And I had one ready and I needed it. So I handed it to him and he proceeded to kind of butcher the whole thing and you know make the bleeding a little bit worse. So again, the first time I'm with this gentleman, he's starting to freak out a little bit. So, okay, right, what do you do? You keep loading 7-O-prolines so that, you know, hopefully keep squirting his hands with the water so that he can tie nicely. And hopefully, you know, you can get to the point where you can go to lunch. But um, unfortunately, the bleeding just got worse and worse and worse. And I, you know, as a, as a person who you know wants to keep up with the surgeon I was doing my very best but at some point I could not keep up with this guy he was just throwing sutures in left and right so he asked me for a 70 proline loaded backhanded with a uh, custom size pledget on it so uh six seconds later he had his 70 proline loaded backhanded with a custom size pledget on it which I was hoping was being the last stitch to repair this uh, bleeding that was hitting still hitting the light. So I hand this to him and I think, okay, this is the end. And sure enough, he goes to take the needle holder away from me and put the stitch into the vessel. And sure enough, the uh, stitch is loaded through my glove, my index finger to be specific. So he's pulling me into the wound with him. So I had to say, Dr. Blank, please stop. Um, That needle's contaminated. So um, he managed to control himself and stop and put his finger on the dike. I cut the needle off. I changed my glove with the left hand, but with the right hand, he still wanted me to load the BV-1 backhanded without the pledge at this time so he could continue to repair the damage that he had done to this poor person's heart. So that's my first time ever. Thank you very much.
5: Hey, I'm Dustin. The first time I ever scrubbed a trauma case was at a small hospital about an hour north of Atlanta. It only has about 100 beds. And it was 3 a.m. And me and the other surgical tech got a call that said, come in for an emergency egg Lap." No other details. I lived about 30 minutes away and I actually made it there in about 20 minutes. And the girl that I was coming in with, she lived about five minutes away and arrived at the exact same time I did. So I, the first thing I noticed is that she has on a full face of makeup. Um, it's 3 a.m. and she has on a full face of makeup. So I was like, did you just stay out partying all night? Or did you get up and put on a full face of makeup? And she actually had got up and put on a full face of makeup before coming in to do this emergency X slap. I was nervous as can be. I had only been a surgical tech for about six months and probably the first time getting called in. And so we go into the OR, we pull the case, we're setting everything up, and I go out to scrub. We hadn't put any instruments on the table yet. We had all the trays open and ready to go. Um, but when I go out into the hallway to scrub, I see about five to six people walking down the hall, rolling this patient, um, holding pressure to his abdomen. And like I said, no instruments on the table or anything. And so I run in the room, throw my gown and gloves, grab the instruments. They throw betadine on him. He was already intubated from the ER. And here we go with this case. Uh, no counts, no, no anything. And I turn around from my back table to look at the patient. And there is this big knife sticking out of his abdomen. And so we do the case. And... Everything seemingly went fine. Um, We packed him full of laps. We stopped all the bleeding. Um, The knife had hit something important. I'm not sure what it was because I don't remember all the details of that night. But uh, we stopped the bleeding, packed him full of laps, um, put him in the helicopter and flew him down to Grady, which is the biggest trauma center near us. And so we were walking out that night and the doctor says to us, man, y'all are really off tonight. (laughs) And (laughs) all I could think of was, I was doing the best after six months of being a surgeon tech, and the girl I was scrubbing with decided to put on a full face of makeup first. Um, but the patient survived, and uh, we got him down to the trauma center.
6: Hey everyone, it's Stephanie, and the first time I ever took trauma call on a weekend when I was solo, I was called to do a case. It was a gamma nail and I had never done one, and the doctor that I was with is that horrible doctor that you're always terrified of because everybody comes in and tells you the horror stories that they have had to deal with with this particular doctor, and so I was shaking in my shoes, needless to say, and he walks in, and I tell him, sir, I've never done this before, and he looks up at me, and he says, Well, I guess you're going to double your quota today, aren't you? And he walks up to the field and he says, don't worry about it. When I scrub in, I'll help you. But he did it really quietly so nobody else in the room would hear. And then when we got on the field, he said, I'm going to need this and this and this and this. And he said, and you better be keeping up. So it was terrifying. I'd been out of school like six months, maybe. And we got through it and I became his favorite scrub tech, and everybody else in the OR could not figure out how a brand new tech could be his favorite tech. Just goes to show, you don't have to have all the experience in the world to make the doctors happy.
7: Hi, my name is Bree, and the first time I ever gown and gloved, um, I actually did really well with gowning for the most part, but gloving, I struggled we got to the part where she was like okay the easiest way to do this is to lay your print down your thumb to thumb and your fingers all together and so i did that and then i looked around and everybody else was doing what they needed to they were getting their gloves over their hands and i'm like what in the world am i doing right now because i could not get the glove over my hand and was like either this glove is defective or i am defective So I called over Chris to help me with it. When she gets over there, she turns my glove upside down because I had had my glove the wrong way. So basically, I was trying to put my glove on inside out and just completely wrong.
8: Hi, my name is John, and I want to talk to you about the first time I had to do what I call a horrendoplasty where the where the patient is racing me to the operating room. So we have this call system where I worked at that has screens in the ORs and then throughout strategically placed throughout the surgical suite and whenever there's a crashing burning emergency there's bells that ring and it puts the OR number up and everybody runs for the OR. So I walk down the hall, the bells start ringing and there's a room listed on there and it's one of our cardiac rooms. I'm like, what is that? And I was the only one in house because it was a a weekend actually. And they were doing an emergency cath lab patient upstairs that I, I did know they had a case going on. So my supervisor had warned me. The next thing I know, I see the double doors open up and here comes the patient and the surgeon is riding the patient in a suit and doing open heart massage chest open blood is pouring out of the cart down the hallway and i'm running for the room as fast as they are and we get to the room and of course there's people just throwing everything around and the surgeon's yelling i need perfusion i need a knife and i need cannulas right now and as i see the perfusion machine coming around the corner with three perfusionists i'm yelling at people open the back table pack. Throw, start throwing me some lab sponges and everybody's throwing stuff around and I'm trying to get a gown and gloves on and the surgeon's yelling at me, knife, knife, knife. And I'm trying to put an 11 blade on a long number three knife handle and perfusionists are priming the machine, hooking up water lines and all this stuff. Two surgical assistants come running over with betadine bottles and are just emptying them on the patient right while the surgeon's still doing open heart massage. And he's yelling knife, I hand him the knife, I hand him an aortic cannula, he throws it in. I'm trying to hand machine lines off to the perfusionist. At that time, we always handed the lines off. We were expected to get them ready. So I'm handing lines off to the perfusionist and trying to hook up while the surgeon's still doing massage. He's got the aortic cannula and I threw him a tubing clamp. He's got the clamp on the cannula. And he's like, come on, hook the lines up. And I'm dividing the lines, hooking up, trying to get the air out and give me the venous cannula. And I give him the venous cannula and he takes the knife, stabs the right atrium, shoves the venous cannula in. We get the patient on bypass and I'm like, holy crap. And I'm trying to grab stuff off my back table. So I'm grabbing a couple of long debakey forceps, a couple needle holders, a meth scissors, and a Morse retractor, which is our, what the chest retractor we use. He throws a retractor in and he's got the two surgical assistants are holding the cannulas. There's no stitches or nothing in there. They're just holding him. We're on bypass. And he's yelling, take blood off, start cooling. And we're cooling. And, and then once we kind of got the surgical assistants to hold still, he yelled at him probably a hundred times to hold still because everything's leaking around the cannulas. And we sort of made some draping attempt there and threw some drapes around and sort of recollected ourselves. I got the surgeon to get a gown and gloves on and then we started to try to fix the problem. And what happened was they had perforated the left atrium in the cath lab and there was a huge tear in it. But so, and the surgeon who we called the king, he was one of these guys that was on a level way above everybody else that was working there as a surgeon and so the king says to me, he goes, I need a three-o 0 proline with a very large pledget on it. So I'm scrambling, throwing a pledget on this three-o proline. I hand it to him and the chest is full of blood and you can't see the heart, anything. He lifts his hand out, takes the stitch and starts throwing it in there. I grabbed one of my pump suckers and I threw it in the chest to try to get some of the blood out so he could see. He took the pump sucker and threw it out of the chest and he goes, don't do that. And I'm like, what the heck? And I was like, what is happening? And he throws the stitch in under the pool of blood, what he called the lake. Don't suck the lake, he said. And I'm putting this, he's putting the stitch in and gets the stitch in. Give me another one. I gave him three or 4 30 prolines with pledgets. And all of a sudden, the, then he took the pump sucker back, stuck it in there, and he fixed it. And I'm like, what in the world? And then we put cannulation stitches around the cannulas and slowly worked our way off, bypassed through some pacing wires on and ended up closing the patient, send them up to the unit. And that was such a crazy case because I I was not, it was young in my career. I didn't have what I thought were the skills to do something like that. Wrong. I did obviously, but it was it was scary. The only time I'd ever been that scared and had that catecholamine surge was probably when I was fishing on a lake that got struck by lightning. It was the same feeling. Every hair on my body was standing straight up and I could feel them. They felt like they felt like I, I felt like a porcupine when I was doing the whole time I was doing the case. And in retrospect, it's magic. You know, it's magic when you do something like that. And that's what I think it's kind of like going to hell and crawling your way right back out of there. And after that, the king and I were really good friends. I ended up working with him after that. And it was such a fun thing to have to go through looking back on it. It was horrible when it happened. And the sad part is you when those hell's bells are ringing and all those people are in the room, there's probably 20, 30 people in the room at the time just throwing stuff. They're trying to open scary drapes to you and all these things and you just throwing them at the wall. It's like, quit give me that stuff. Like, I don't need that. I need cell saver lines. I need my machine lines for the pump. And they're just, and, you know, people are just nervous and they're opening everything they see. And most of it was on the floor when we were done. This is what I noticed. Then. And I was, I don't know, I went home and I was like, okay. I must be meant to do this job. I didn't, I questioned myself so many times through orientation and cardiac surgery, thinking, what am I doing? Why am I putting myself through all this stress? That's why right there. And you, I tell it to my students a lot that you have to get your skills up to where you can wing it. And you're gonna be winging it throughout your career. You may not realize your skills are there until you actually try. And that was my horrendoplasty.
9: My name's Emily, and the first time I ever realized I was in an emergency situation, it was about two hours in and too late. I couldn't get out of it. So the story goes that I work in labor and delivery, and we had a mom deliver vaginally and had a postpartum hemorrhage about an hour after delivery. Um, so normal protocol is to take her back to the operating room if we can't stabilize with any medication to do a DNC and kind of look around. We did a DNC on and off for about an hour. At this point, I realize this is the longest DNC that I've ever done and something was not right. So the doctor transferred her off the bed, transferred back to the OR table a few times, started to panic, and that's when I realized the panic set in for me. This was my first Friday off of my two-week orientation a week after graduating school. So you can imagine, as a brand new tech, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I realized, it's way too late. It's like nine o'clock at night. There's nobody around to help. It's sink or swim time. So in that moment, we decide as a team that we're just going to go for it and open the patient up to see what's going on from above. I didn't know my instruments. I didn't know my medications. I didn't know that I had a choice to call in the main OR team for help. So I just went with it and from that moment on I realized that it's really your job is what you make of it and if you make a emergency situation awful your job is going to be awful and if you make the best of it you can only go up from there. The patient ended up having a hysterectomy and was still bleeding so we thought DIC but then realized she blown out her uterine artery, so we repaired the artery and closed her back up. Um, she went to the ICU, she did well, as far as I know it. she's done well since. Kind of sad she can't have any more kids, but that's okay. She's alive, she's able to care for her baby. And I now teach my emergency tactics to all of my students and anybody who comes into the department to learn. <laughs>
3: Hi, I'm Melanie and we're talking about the first times we've had in the operating room and the first time that I ever was handed a full amputated limb, I dropped it on the floor. But there's a little bit of story to that, maybe to defend myself, but to give you the full picture, um, I've held amputated feet, amputated fingers, partial legs, all the things, no big deal. But this particular case, we were doing a hemipelvectomy. And so the amputation was from the pelvis all the way down to the foot. This was a long limb, very big. And they finally got everything detached. They're passing it off the field. And I had my ring stand ready. I had my Mayo stand cover wrapped around the ring stand, kind of like a trash bag, you know, to um, put the limb in it because that's what we were supposed to do. They hand me and this other nurse of the limb because it's too big for one person to hold. We go, we put it into the mayo stand cover, and we drop it in, and the steam burst on the bottom of the mayo stand cover, and that limb went sliding right across the floor. The floor was bloody. It was a mess, and there goes a limb flying across the floor right at the feet of one of the residents, and we're just sitting there looking, going, well, crap. (laughs) So what do you do? (laughs) We went, sorry. (laughs) We go, pick it up get a couple more mayo stand covers, open them up, put the limb in much more carefully this time, recognizing that seams aren't designed really to hold limbs. And um, get it wrapped up, get it sense of pathology, and all was well. (laughs) The patient did fine, never knowing where their leg was on the floor. But that was my experience and you know crazy things happen. It happens to all of us in the operating room from limbs falling on the floor to contaminating a back table but we've all done it and I think it helps to realize that we've all experienced it and we can all learn from it so that's my story
10: hey this is Marshall the first time I ever went into the operating room so you know I was a student and I went up to the front desk like you know just waiting to get assigned and they were really busy uh, and they were taking a minute to assign me to a room so I mean, when they when the charge nurse finally got to me, I was like, you know, the last thing on their mind. They sent me to <laughs> they sent me to a room, and when I walked in, they were already like open, like the tech there already had all the the supplies open. And you know, I'm looking at the back table, just thinking, oh my gosh, there's so much stuff. You know, I mean, I, I was just looking at the back table, looking at all the stuff. I didn't even acknowledge like anyone in the room. Um, and then this the tech comes up to me, and he's a really nice guy. He's like super fan like family guy, like, you know, just super, Hey, how are you? Like, I'm like, Oh, I'm Marshall uh, all nervous because I'm just like, Oh my gosh, like overwhelmed by all the stuff on the table. Um, and he's like, you know, I'm like, Hey, I'm a student. And he's like, okay, well, why don't you set this one up? And I'm like, uh, okay. You know, just like, I, I just thought, yeah, let's do it. You know? So, <laughs> so I go and grab my gown and gloves from like the, you know, wherever you get them. And I, I'm I open those up fine, and the the more I look at this table and all the instruments and all the things, I'm just I'm I'm overwhelmed because honestly, in school, when I was when I was when I started, like it was just a basic pack, and like I don't even know. I think we're doing like an ENT case or something. So <laughs> I'm scrubbing in, and I I put I just do Avigard, and I'm like so nervous that I, I pick up my gown and I put it on backwards. <laughs> and then i i put it on backwards so you know the tech's like hey you know why don't we uh try that again you know and i, I this point i'm like in my own head i i, I don't even know I'm, I'm just like super nervous at this point and so he he scrubs in he scrubs in eventually because he could tell i was just totally off he scrubs in and you know, you, th- you think it just ends there, but so it doesn't. Okay. So after he scrubs in, he's doing the case or he's uh, setting up the table, excuse me, because, you know, the, he, he just opened the supplies, So he's setting up the table. I'm just standing on the side watching him. I'm not scrubbed, just standing on the side watching him. I don't really, I, I don't think we were talking much, but anyways, we're getting ready to, uh, you know, surgeons getting the patients coming in and we're getting ready to go. And he's like, okay, well, why don't you scrub in? Like at least, you know, come on in. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I can do that. Like, it's fine. So I you know I think he gowns and gloves me. I don't even remember that part of it. But I do remember this. So we I'm we he's setting up the table, patient's coming in, he gowns the surgeon whatnot and they're starting the case, okay? And I'm literally just standing behind him like not moving, like I don't even know what I'm doing there. I just feel completely helpless. And he's all like He's just, he, the surgeon's asking for things, but I'm not really listening. Next thing I know, he turns around, my preceptor, you know, super nice guy. Turns around, he's like, hey, Marshall, uh, you ready to go? And in school, I'm just like, in school, we were taught never turn down first scrubbing. So in my head, I'm just like, "Uh, yeah, you know, I'm ready to go. Like, I was not ready to go at all. Like, not ready to go at all. But anyways, I go up to the first scrub and the surgeon, I I remember this to the day, he sits there and he's like, can I get a nasal speculum, please? And I'm looking, I'm looking at the Mayo And there's instruments there, but I I literally don't even know what I'm looking at. Like, I'm so nervous and everything. I don't even know what I'm looking at. And this surgeon is like a plastics guy. He's just trying to get the job done. He's quick. Like, he's not trying to wait. So he just grabs the nasal speculum off my table, keeps going. And I'm just, like, stunned, sitting there, not knowing what's happening. And the next thing he asks for, he's like, can I get a butter knife? And I'm like, what in the world is a butter knife? I've never heard that in my entire life, you know? (laughs) And my preceptor at this point, he just was like, here, why don't you watch this one? So then I ended up watching the rest of the case. And yeah, that was my first experience in the operating room.
0: Hey, this is Chris. And this story is about the first time I ever, and thank God, the only time I ever lost my pants in an operating room. (laughs) So... It's back in the early 2000s and I am a CST for liver transplants and back then liver transplants took forever. Um, We were not as proficient as we are now and we often had to put our patients on bypass. Um, And so, you know, it's dead of night and I am in the middle of this case and it's going okay, but it's a high intensity case and uh, you're quite busy, especially once you uh, dissect down and uh, the patient is on perfusion. Uh, Everything happens so rapidly, like the clock is ticking. And I can feel my scrub pants, like they are loosening. As I go back and forth from the back table to the mayo to our slush and uh, all the things in between. And, and so at some point, like I feel it. It's around my hip bones. And at that point, I'm like, screw it. Uh, so I do a little wiggle wiggle and kick out of my dance goes and there go my pants which no big deal, right? Because I'm circumferentially gowned and it's not about me right now. Like it's all about the patient. I'll deal with it later. So I take my scrub pants and I kick them under my back table. I throw my shoes back on and I just keep at it, right? We're rocking this case. So hours later, hours, we finally are done. Everything went okay. Uh, We're prepping the patient to get the intubated patient into their ICU bed. So of course, I'm pushing my back table and my Mayo stand back away from the patient and uh, just getting ready to go help transport. And at that moment, pop my gown, which come on y'all, you know that sense is supposed to be just this like, "Uh aha moment. And I pop my gown and all of a sudden I feel a whoosh of cold air on my bare behind. <laughs> and at that moment, I remember. That's right, Chris. Don't you remember four or five hours ago, you kicked your pants off underneath the back table. So as I have now popped my gown, I turn in horror and disbelief and I look and there they are. There are my beautiful light blue scrub pants crumpled in a ball in the middle of our OR. At this point, all ego is completely off the table, and I literally slide my ass to the floor, and I assure you that the OR floor was not um, in pristine condition, and I am sitting there throwing my shoes off and trying desperately to get my pants on before anyone notices. Big guess, everyone freaking noticed. And I look up and thank God the chief wasn't in there anymore. He never closed. But the residents and the med students sure did get a lesson that day. (laughs) So I'm in the OR, I throw my pants on, um, answer the few questions that I then had the words to answer. Um, Here's the caveat to all of that is that the anesthesiologist was my uncle. And let's just say no uncle should ever see that much of their niece ever. (laughs) So underwear, fully clothed, scrub pants back on. I go break down my case and tuck my tail between my legs, literally, and go home. And I think, please God, let no one know that I ever did this. But Back then, we of course didn't have the maybe rules of professionalism (laughs) that we do now Uh, because the next time I came on shift, um, all attached to the outside of my locker and all across the break room were cut out pictures of butts from the magazines that I'm sure everyone who obviously had too much time on their hands could find, (laughs) and uh, yeah. I couldn't live that one down. So you know, there are lessons to be learned from this story. The first is to double knot your scrub pants. But the second is to never get too big for your britches because the universe will find a way to strip them right off of you, quite literally.
6: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Scrub Life Podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share. We can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Scrub Life Podcast. Show notes for this episode, as well as past episodes, our contact information and the virtual suggestion box can be found at our webpage thescrublifepodcast.com. This has been Chris Blevins and Stephanie Austin with the Scrub Life Podcast. Until next time, be safe, support each other, and stay sterile.